Well, good morning again. So glad that you are that you are here. You know, this morning we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that is a very special passage of scripture. And now some of you are already thinking, well, aren't all scripture special? The answer to that is, of course, but this one right here, there's just something about it that that as we see this morning, what we're going to witness in scripture is that Jesus is going to reveal his glory to Peter, James, and John. What a sight that must have been for these three men. What a sight it must have been for these three to have seen the flesh of the Lord peeled back and the glory of the Lord light up the sky. That's what we're going to see this morning as we walk through God's Word together. As I was preparing for this message, I came across this story. And it's a story um, that was written by a gentleman by the name of Nathaniel Hawthorne. He wrote this in the 19th century and is called The Great Stone Face. The story is about a mountain overlooking a village. And on this mountain was etched in the stone, the face of a man. The legend was that one day a man with that face would come into the village and would be a blessing to all of the villagers within. A boy named Ernest heard the story of this legend and longed for that man to arrive. Ernest would gaze continually on that great stone face, studying its contours and contemplating ways that that man could bring blessing to the people of the village. Every once in a while, a rumor would begin to stir that a man had arrived into the village that resembled that great stone face. And every time that would happen, Ernest would run into the middle of that village to be introduced to that man. And every time he left, disappointed that the man did not resemble the great stone face. As Ernest grew older, he loved the village that he was a part of. And he became, became known for his wisdom and care for all of the villagers. One day a man was walking with Ernest. And Ernest turned to look at this man as they were talking. And as the man gazed at Ernest, he could see the great stone face in the background. And suddenly the man threw his arms around Ernest and yelled out, Behold, 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 Ernest is himself like the likeness of the great stone face. Ernest had become like the one that he had beheld. The truth that Hawthorne communicates is not just a reality in short stories. It is true in Scripture as well. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." The more we behold Christ, the more we are going to resemble Christ. The more we fix our attention and our affection on Him, the more we are going to become like Him. You know, I've shared this story with you before, but one of the students in my student ministry back in yesteryears, which was many years ago, um, used to wear a shirt. And on that shirt it was, um, be like the moon, reflect the sun. As believers, you and I are to reflect the glory of the Lord because the glory of the Lord dwells within us that are believers. All of us are going to reflect something or someone. 
Whose image is it that you reflect this morning? If you are a believer, then the image you and I should reflect is the image we bear, which is Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that all of us were created in the image of God. Knowing that we were created in God's image, it is God's image that we should be reflecting in all that we do. Not the image of this world, not the image of the people that live a part of this world, but we should be reflecting the image of God who dwells within us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. Really, um, I'm going to be honest with you, we're actually going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Um, We will not get to point number 3 this morning. So for those of you who like to fill in the blank, you're going to have to leave here with three blanks not filled in. Okay, we'll catch up next week and, and start with verse 8. But I'm going to go ahead and read all 13 verses together um, this morning from Matthew chapter 17. This is what we read. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Then behold, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then who do the scribes say that first Elijah then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come. And he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will, be, will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Notice our message point this morning. It is this. We are called to a life of transformation. All of us have been called to a life of transformation. May each of us in this room seek to daily be transformed more and more into the image of our Lord. And as we're transformed into his image, we will begin to reflect his image and reflect his glory in all that we do. Our first point this morning is this, the favor of the Lord. Let's look at the favor of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain. When I read this passage of Scripture, and when I think of God's favor, I think of these men receiving God's favor. Notice the setting. About a week after the disciples left Caesarea Philippi, Matthew tells us that Peter, James, and John are led up on a high mountain. And and this story is actually in both Mark 
and Luke as well as Matthew. And so we're going to look at a few passages of Luke that kind of fill in the gaps as we go through this message together. But what Luke tells us is that as these men are being led up on this mountain, they are being led up so that they could pray, so that they could pray with God the Father. They were led there to also experience the glory of the Lord through prayer, but what they got was so much more. Have you ever asked yourself, why Peter, James, and John? Why these disciples, out of all of the disciples, why did Jesus choose these three men? In fact, on more than one occasion, Jesus will pull these three men out to experience something that the rest of the disciples did not. In Mark chapter 5, we're told that, that Jesus takes with them Peter, James, and John, the day that Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Within this passage this morning, they are led up on that mountain to experience God's unveiled glory. In, um, before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, we read that the Lord pulls these three men aside while they're at the Garden of Gethsemane so that they could witness Jesus' agony before his betrayal and arrest. So Jesus obviously saw something in these men that maybe he didn't see in the rest of the men. So does that mean that the rest of the men were kind of second-class disciples? I don't think that's what that means at all. There are just some things and sometimes that God chooses to, to, to unveil more of his glory to a particular person than, um, and, and not so much to another. And that's kind of what we're seeing within this passage of Scripture this morning. So why did Jesus choose three of the men and not just one? Why didn't Jesus just take with him Peter up on that mountain? Well, there is power in numbers. There is credibility that's given when there's more than one witness. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, in verse 15, we read this. Moses wrote, wrote these words, A single witness shall not suffice against a person. For any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So what we see in that passage of Scripture is this. More than one witness gives credibility to an event. Here you have three men that witness the unveiled glory of the Lord, thus given credibility to it. Thus, meaning that you and I can be certain that this event really did happen. In fact, Peter later wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 16 through 18, Peter wrote of this event. He recorded this event in his letter. And we read this, for we do... For we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Peter right here gives testimony to what he witnessed many years before on that mountain. You know, many skeptics question the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did this event really happen or didn't it? Well, Paul tells us that over 500 people witnessed with their own eyes the 
resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, thus giving credibility to it. That is why I can stand before you this morning and declare that the resurrection did happen. That's why I can stand before you this morning and declare that, that Jesus in all of his glory was revealed to these three men, Peter, James, and John. Jesus is not a mythical person that man created. He is the Son of God. And these three men were blessed to see his unveiled glory. And that leads us this morning to our second point, the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. So here the disciples are. They are blessed by Jesus to get to spend a little bit more time with him than the rest of the disciples. Okay, so they are being led up on this mountain for some discipleship time, for some one-on-one time with the Lord. Now, we know that they're being led up there to pray, but, but they are going to experience so much more up on top of that mountain. You know, you can be certain that, that when we experience mountaintop highs in our life, mountaintop experiences, events in our life that we're going to go closer to the Lord, aren't we? I mean, think about some of the mountaintop experiences that you've experienced in your life. Think about those times whenever you look at, at, at your own life and you look back and you think, man, that was a special moment with God the Father. Man, that was one of the most special times that I've ever had with the Lord. Some of you can identify dozens of those mountaintop experiences. Some of you this morning are like, well, man, I really can't think of very many. Think back to your salvation experience. And the day that Jesus Christ called you unto salvation, you repented of your sins and you took up your cross like we looked at last week and you began to follow after him. That was a mountaintop experience, wasn't it? You know, many of you over the course of your lifetime, you've gone to to youth camps, you've gone to kids camps, you've gone on, on special retreats, maybe you've gone on a mission trip. Man, those are mountaintop experiences for many of us. And the reason those are mountaintop experiences in, in many ways is because we disconnect from the world. And we get one-on-one with God the Father and His words, and we're able to grow in His grace and in His knowledge. Those are mountaintop experiences. Many of the quiet times, that personal worship time we have with the Lord, are mountaintop experiences. Prayer service, corporately and privately, those can be mountaintop experiences. Now, I know that I have experienced many mountaintop experiences in my own life, but here's the reality, and we're going to spend all of our time next week talking about this. As we will see at the end of this story, what happens? Jesus and these three men leave that mountain and they go back down into the valley. There are going to be mountaintop experiences that we experience in our life. There should be many of those. But guess what there's also going to be? There's going to be those valley moments in our life where we kind of where we're kind of living in the trenches of life, right? Where we're getting our hands dirty and we're being pelted with all of those fiery darts that Satan is hurtling our way. It's going to be in that valley that we experience sickness and we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Man, there's both extremes that happen in life. Well, for Peter, James, and John this morning, they get to experience that mountaintop moment. And that's what we're going to focus on the rest of our time together this morning. During this mountaintop moment, Peter, James, and John are going to see the unveiled glory of the Lord. It's called the transfiguration. 
we see in verse 2, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. You know, up until this point, Jesus has proven that he was God in the flesh by demonstrating his authority over disease, over death, over demons, over sin, over salvation, over nature, just to name a few things. The disciples and the crowd have witnessed his authority over all of these things. And each of the above miracles occurred while Jesus was fully clothed in his humanity. Now what these three men were blessed to witness was Jesus' transfiguration. In the Greek, the word transfiguration comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. And reaching back to our biology days, if you remember those days, it's been many years for some of us, all right? But the word meta means to change. The word morph means form. Therefore, metamorphosis means to change form or appearance. And that is exactly what happened on that mountain on this particular day. On that mountain, the concealed glory of the Lord burst forth and Jesus was transformed before the eyes of the disciples. I want you to think about this. As I was reading and studying, I came across this. And, and think about this. The greatest part of the transfiguration was not that Jesus revealed his glory, but that he was able to conceal his glory at all. Think about that. That Jesus was able to even conceal his glory is probably even a greater miracle than Jesus revealing his glory. Because we know that Jesus has always been um, clothed in glory. Jesus has always been been in a glorified sinless, perfect state. He has always lit up the night sky. Okay, But in, when he came and dwelt among us, that glory was clothed with human flesh. And so right here in this passage of Scripture this morning, what we get to see is that clothing of his flesh being ripped aside so that his glory could shine through. Within verse 2, we see that as a result of the transfiguration, Jesus' face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Oh, to have been there on that day. Oh, to have experienced Jesus' transfiguration. Or to have experienced what many of the men and women got to experience in God's Word. You know, you and I may not have ever been able to see the backside of God like Moses did and see his glory revealed. We may never have heard God's audible voice like Abraham, Jacob, and Moses did. We may not have ever seen that the, the, the fourth figure inside that fiery furnace. We know that fourth figure to be Jesus. We may not have ever seen those things, but guess what? What we have within us if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, is we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have God in all of his glory dwelling within each of, each of us. That glory, though, is not to remain concealed within this temple. That glory should illuminate through us as we reflect the Son, as we reflect the Lord as we reflect Jesus Christ in all that we do. On that mountain, Jesus was not alone. 
In addition to these three disciples, we also see that there were two visitors, two heavenly visitors, Moses and Elijah. We read in verse 3, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Why Moses and Elijah? Why these two people from history's past? Why not some other characters within God's Word? Why not David or why not um, Samuel or, 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 or one of these others? Moses and Elijah, three things that I want us to see. Moses and Elijah represent the sum of the Old Testament. Moses represents the law. He represents the Old Testament law. Elijah represents the prophets, God's mouthpieces, the preachers of the day. We can also say that they represent those that have been or will be called up to heaven. Moses represents those that experience physical death. Those that close their eyes on this side of eternity only to awaken on the other side of eternity. Elijah, on the other hand, Elijah never saw death. He was taken away. Elijah represents those that will be raptured in the end time when Jesus Christ returns for his church. Also, these two men got to experience God's glory unlike many other Old Testament figures did. When you think about Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses is asked to, he asked to see God's glory. In Exodus 33, 18 through 23, we read these words. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my backside, but my face shall not be seen by you. So Moses gets a glimpse of God's glory right here in Exodus chapter 33. And, and some days later, Moses will leave that mountain with the law in his hand. And notice what the people witnessed when Moses came down off Mount Sinai. In Exodus 34, verses 29 and 30, we read, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Oh, for you and I to reflect the glory of God like Moses did when he came off of that mountain that day. Moses reflected the glory of the Lord because he had been in the midst of God's glory. Now, Elijah. Elijah represents the one who was able to proclaim God's glory. As a prophet of the Lord, that is exactly what he did. But he was also blessed to witness God's glory on full display the day that he called down fire from heaven. You remember the story whenever, Mo, uh, whenever Elijah challenges the, the gods of Baal. 
the gods of Baal um, are were were, were it, was, it was they were gods that the Israelites worshipped. And Moses was going toe-to-toe with them on this particular day. And he enters into an agreement with them. And basically, the agreement is this. The true God is going to send fire down from heaven. And he's going to wipe away the, the, the sacrifices that had been placed on the two altars that had been created. Okay, And so the first... Um, prophets to go were the prophets of Baal, and they, they spend all morning long calling on their gods, calling on their gods to send down fire from heaven and, 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 and swoop up the, the altar. And obviously, they failed, didn't they? And then it was Moses, or Elijah's turn. When Elijah prayed to God for God to display his glory, that is exactly what happened. Fire came down from heaven, and we read of this account in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 through 39. It says, And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah proclaimed the glory of God and was able to see God's glory on full display. Now, one last thing that we see in this particular encounter between Jesus and Moses and Elijah is this. I've often been asked, will we know each other when we get to heaven? And the answer to that question is yes. How do we know that we're going to know each other? Because Moses and Elijah kept their form. The disciples recognized that it was Moses and Elijah, and obviously Jesus addressed them in this particular script. We see here that Moses and Elijah have kept their physical form. So yes, I believe we will recognize and know one another when we get to heaven. So Moses reflected the glory of the Lord. Elijah proclaimed the glory of the Lord. And now notice Jesus. Jesus reveals the divine glory is what he does. In the exposition commentary, we read this. For our purposes, the word reveals is key. Jesus was not merely reflecting and proclaiming divine glory. Jesus was the revelation of divine glory. To put it another way, Jesus doesn't just mirror or imitate the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. And that glory was on full display on this mountain on this particular day. Peter and James and John were blessed to have witnessed the Lord's divine glory on that day. In verse 3, we see that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are talking. What in the world are they talking about? Oh, to have been a fly on the wall there, right? Luckily, in the Gospel of Luke, we get a glimpse of the conversation that they had. In Luke 9, 30 and 31, we read this. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure 
which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what were they talking about? They were speaking of Jesus' death. They were speaking of all the events that had to happen in Jerusalem. His death, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension, which was to come. This word for departure that we see, one commentator wrote this. In the great exodus of the Old Testament, the Father used Moses to deliver his people from slavery. Now, as the culmination of his saving actions, the Father sent Jesus to deliver his people from sin. And notice this last sentence here. The greater and final exodus happened as the Son of God went to the cross to liberate his people from the slavery of sin. That is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to liberate you and I from sin. Sin enslaves us. And without Jesus, we are a slave to it. But by the grace of Jesus, you and I can be liberated from sin and set free eternally from its curse. So these men are talking about the culmination of Jesus' mission being almost complete. The work of the cross. That is where liberation happened. That's where Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died for every sin that you and I will ever commit, those of yesteryears and the sins of tomorrow. He died on the cross so that you and I can be set free from the curse of sin and death. So as all of this has taken place, as this conversation is going on, as this transfiguration has occurred, Peter, James, and John are witnessing it. Can you imagine having been there on that day? What's crazy is this. Luke actually tells us that Peter, James, and John are sleeping in the beginning part of this transfiguration. What did Jesus do? Jesus directed his disciples to go up on this mountain to pray. And while they prayed, what they were going to get is the full display of God's glory. But what were they doing? They went up there and they fell asleep. Now, they still experienced God's glory. They still saw God's glory, but they didn't get to see all of it because they slept through some of it. How often do you and I go through life and sleep it away? There's so many things that God wants us to experience on this side of eternity. But often, what are we doing? We're sleeping our lives away. Or we're so busy doing this that doesn't even involve um, or, 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 or nurture our relationship with the Lord. We're, we're busy doing this or watching that or being involved in this sport or that sport or this class or that class or working here, working there. Go home, we watch television. When we're missing out on what God is really wanting us to experience, His glory on full display. And we find God's glory as we read through God's Word. We experience God's glory as we spend time in prayer and communion with God the Father. Let's not sleep our life away. Let's not miss out on what the Lord Jesus Christ is wanting us to experience. Okay. There's still more. In verse 4 we read, 
And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now leave it to Peter to stick his foot in his mouth. You know, I don't know what size foot Peter had, but let's just say it was size nine. I'm going to say that most of the time he, he actually had about a size 55, and he constantly put that thing in his mouth. He constantly spoke without thinking, right? How many of you find yourself doing that? Every day, that's me, all right? Every day. I say something stupid because I didn't think about what I should have said, and I say what I shouldn't have said. You know, Peter, we know, he was impulsive. He often spoke without thinking. And here's what Peter does. When Peter says to, to Jesus, should I put up a veil for you, a veil for Moses, and a veil for Elijah? What he is saying here is this. He's putting all three of these on the same plane. He's, 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 he's making Jesus equal to Moses and Elijah equal to Jesus. Okay, That's where he messed up. God is superior to all of his creation. Okay, All of his created God is superior. Jesus is superior to Moses and Elijah. And guess who's going to get Peter's attention to make sure Peter understands that Jesus far exceeds Moses and Elijah. Guess who it is? It's God the Father. So here's what we, Peter is just speaking. And as he's speaking, we read in Luke 9.33 that, that it actually says, not knowing what he said. Peter was speaking like a madman is what he was doing. And as he's speaking like a madman, leave it to God the Father to get his attention. So as he is still speaking, Scripture tells us that the Father speaks. In verses 5 and 6 we read, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were terrified. This is such a rich passage of Scripture right here. Notice first the cloud. In the Old Testament, God's Shekinah glory was often hidden in a cloud, right? And so what we see here is God's Shekinah glory coming down from heaven and enveloping these men. God the Father spoke in a similar way as he did at Jesus' baptism. God the Father makes three things clear to the disciples on this day. The first one is this. Jesus is loved by God the Father. God made that abundantly clear right here. And Jesus pleased God the Father. And God made that abundantly clear here as well. Same thing that he said at Jesus' baptism, but there's an addition here that was not present at Jesus' baptism. It is this. Jesus is to be obeyed. God the Father said, listen to him. When the disciples heard the voice of God, they were shaken to their core. Scripture tells us that they were actually terrified. I would be pretty terrified myself probably, right? 
You know, because you remember what happens whenever you and I get in the presence of God? When we come into the presence of God within a, a holy place like Isaiah, what did Isaiah do? He said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized that he was a sinner. When we get into the presence of a holy God, we recognize that we are sinful people. But you know what God does while we're in his presence? When we call on him and ask him to forgive us of those sins, he forgives us in an instant. When Jesus went to the cross, the work that was done on the cross was this. Jesus took our sin and he removed them as far as the east is from the west. And if we call to him to forgive us of those sins, then we are promised that we will be forgiven of those So these men are shaken to their core. In verse 7, though, we see this. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. That's what Jesus does. In the midst of our moments of fear, in the moments of, 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 of life's heartaches, in the moments that we're going to look at next week as we're going down into the valley, what Jesus does is Jesus comes and he touches us. And he tells us to fear not. If there was one iota of doubt in these men's minds before this about who Jesus was, those were completely erased. Never again would these three men doubt who Jesus was. Yes, we know that Peter did deny knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crowed the day that Jesus was arrested. But Peter did not deny Jesus because he did not believe in Jesus. Peter denied Jesus because he feared the consequences of what would happen if he acknowledged that he was one of the disciples. And he'll get restored and forgiven for that later on after Jesus rises from the dead. Folks, Jesus is alive. He is alive right now, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One day he is going to return, and he is going to return with his glory on full display. He's going to return in all of his glory. If Jesus was to return today, would you be ready for his return? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you were to take your final breath this afternoon, your final breath here on earth, where would your next breath be? Would it be in the presence of God the Father because you have entered into a relationship with Him? You have been transformed from the inside out. Because Jesus Christ is your Lord and he is your Savior and you have made a commitment that you're going to follow after him by taking up your cross and and following him? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you don't know Jesus this morning, then I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. In just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come this morning. And surrender your life to Jesus. You may be here this morning and you're, you're just kind of wrestling to, with, with the question of, man, did, am I really a believer? I shared a story a couple of weeks ago of, of someone within our faith family who, who, and a member of their family, has been in church all of her life. And in, the, in, in a matter of the past few weeks, she trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And her life is radically different. She was scared to death, they said, to go forward and to admit that she wasn't a Christian. You may be here this morning, you're like, man, I don't know if I 
ever accepted Christ. You know, when I was at VBS, when I was five years old, man, I know that, you know, the pastor prayed a prayer and I repeated that prayer, but my life didn't change. You may be here this morning, you've never experienced the transformation that Jesus Christ makes in an individual's life. If that is you, I want to invite you this morning to come and surrender your life to Jesus. I don't care if you've been in the church for one year or a hundred years. If you're here without Jesus, you come this morning. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Has the old gone from your life? If it, if it has not, then come this morning and experience the new life that Jesus Christ wants to give you. You know, in closing this morning, our takeaway is this. Be like the sun. The S-O-N, reflect His glory. That's what we're called to do is reflect the glory of God in all that we do. If you have never become an image bearer of God because you've never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you this morning to do that so that when you leave here, you reflect the glory of the Lord. Let's stand together and we're going to pray. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Father, just for the privilege it has been just to be in your house. Father, I know that on a day like today, we've got many of our members that are out today because they're sick or the weather is keeping them at home or they may be on the road traveling. Father, I don't know where everybody is, but I pray that wherever our faith family is today, that you will be with them. But Father, I thank you for every man, woman, student, and child that's in this room this morning. Father, I thank you for the promise of your word that we've been able to walk through today. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we may not have been on that mountain with Peter, James, and John. We may not have been on Mount Sinai with Moses. We may not have been in those places. But here's what I know. That if we are a follower of yours, then your glory dwells within us. And Father, your glory is on full display today because we have read of it this morning. Father, I pray this morning right now, Lord Jesus, that if there is someone here that is yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, I pray this morning that they will do that very thing. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this morning they will acknowledge that they do not have a relationship with you. And this morning, they, they make a commitment that they are going to be a Christ follower. They're going to be an image bearer of the King. And Father, if there's some here this morning that need to do that, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will just call them unto salvation. Father, there may be some in this room this morning that have been visiting this church for a while. And Father, today is the day that you're calling them to become church members. And Father, we welcome them to be a part of this local body of believers. Father, I don't know what kind of decisions need to be made today, but I know that you do, and we ask that you move during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if there is a decision you need to make, make this morning, you come. We're just going to, the instruments are going to play. Every head bowed and every eye closed, just pray right now where you're at. Pray.